Well, I love to sing with you. I love that we get to gather together today. And, and just like Stephen mentioned, we're going to take a, a one-week break from our series on the Ten Commandments because we're only two weeks away from Easter. And we want to use today as, as kind of a reminder, a reminder of the mission that, that Jesus has sent you and he sent me on. And so to do that, I'm going to start by reading from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And, and we're going to look at this passage and a few others where Jesus where he says, come, where he says, follow me. Listen to these words, verse 19. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's all for right now. Go ahead and, and have a seat. And we're going we're gonna to unravel this idea of being a, a fisher of men in just a little bit. But, but to set some things up, I know I've shared some stories about kind of my life, my younger days when I was a kid. I'm the oldest of four boys in our home. Now, usually when I tell people, I, they, they say, oh, Lord, bless your mother. <laughs> we had a very busy, a very rambunctious home. And as the oldest of four boys, I mean, it was kind of good for me, right? Anybody here are the oldest of all their siblings? Lord bless you people, Okay. How about, who here would have fallen in the category where they're a younger sibling? Okay, I have pity on all you people. Because I know at times I, uh, I had a lot of fun at my younger brother's expense growing up. And so I'm sure you've experienced some of that. But, you know, in my neighborhood, we had a group of guys, five or six guys at different time, times, all about the same age. And so we kind of had a little bit of a posse. We would do just about everything together, right? So we would have fun together. We'd get in trouble together, all of that stuff. And so when I was growing up, it was very common when your friend wanted to hang out with you. They did this weird thing. They didn't text you. They came to your house. They knocked on the door, right, and they said these words, can Mike come out and play, right? You, you guys remember before texting when people would say, hey, can so-and-so come out and play? It was like a common thing. Well, well, we would have that happen. And in my house, because I had three younger brothers, someone would knock on the door. It was usually for me because most of the kids were my age. And my brothers, their ears would perk up, Right? So, so the, the question was, can Mike come out and play? And I would try to get out of the door and close that door behind me as quickly as I could before I heard these three words. You know what the three words are? Can I come? Can I come? Because when you're a teenager, the last thing you want to do is to take your younger brothers with you, right? We're, we're going to go create mischief, and, you know, if we have to run, you're too slow. You know what I mean? We don't want to get caught because of you, you know? And so we would try to escape as quickly as we could. But, but here's the deal. As I got a little older, and especially after I came to faith in Christ, not because of anything special in me, but, but as God started changing me, well, my desire to have my brothers around, it began to change a little bit. I remember, especially senior year, when I was really following Christ, I remember going and doing things with friends. And I remember one of the first times I went to one of my brothers, and instead of hearing them say, can I come? I remember when I said, hey, do you want to come? Let me tell you in that moment, their, their eyes, you know, little brothers, beady little eyes, <laughs> their eyes got so big wait, wait, I can come? You want me to come with you? The moment I extended the invitation, it, it was incredible. It was incredible. 
And now I tell you that story because I, I believe that you, if you're here today, there's a good chance that you, you are a follower of Jesus. If you're here today, you have trusted that Jesus died to pay the price for all of your sins, that he was resurrected so that you can walk in newness of life. I believe you are here holding on to the promise that you will forever be with God in his eternal kingdom, in his love, and in his joy, and in his glory. But, but here's, the, here's the deal. I actually think that the world around us, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, even your enemies, all of those people that you know who have yet to trust in Jesus, I actually think all of them are saying those three words. Can I come? Now, now we, we miss that they say this because we look at the way they act when they chase after sinful pleasures. We say they, they don't love God. You're right, they don't know, but, but they're really looking for satisfaction. When they chase after the things of, of pride or of selfishness, when they pursue the things of the world, if we step back, I want you to realize they are saying, can I come? They're just speaking a very different language. They, they, they don't know quite what you know yet. And so the world around us, they're, they're, they're saying these words. In fact, today, as we look at Jesus inviting you, and as Jesus invites you to extend that invitation, that's really my big idea. Today, I want you to see that Jesus, he invites you, not just to come to know him, not just to walk with him. He invites you not just to go to heaven one day. Jesus invites you, listen, to extend his invitation. He invites you to extend his invitation. See, as we gather here today, Maybe you have forgotten. Maybe you have forgotten that Jesus has called you to one singular key task for the entirety of your time on earth. As we gather today, maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe as we gather here today, you have forgotten that the world around us, that they actually are asking this question. They're just doing it in the wrong way. Can I come? Maybe, maybe as we gather here today, you have forgotten how special Jesus' invitation to you is, how valuable it is, how important it is. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time looking at how Jesus has invited you, and then, then we're going to look at how that invitation is meant to be extended. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, as Jesus begins to call some disciples, as he calls some fishermen, listen to these words, verse 19, it says, he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's start right there with that invitation. Jesus invites you to follow him. Jesus invites you to follow him. Those words, follow me, those are words that do not have this kind of like casual invitation. It's not like Jesus is saying, hey, you know, maybe if you're not busy and if you can fit it in your schedule as one of your other things you do sometimes, once in a while, I don't know if it's possible, maybe we could hang out. Actually, the term follow me, the, the term follow me, it actually has this, this, this indication of urgency. It, it, it's an urgency that is, is more like come now. 
When Jesus says, follow me, it's, it's more like a dad calling to his kid across the field, come here now and hustle, than it is, hey, you know, would you consider hanging out with me once in a while? I actually, where my mind goes when I hear this word, these words, come now, uh, you probably never thought you, you would hear Mortal Kombat talked about from the pulpit, right? But I remember the game Mortal Kombat as a teenage kid playing, and there was a character in it, and in that game, his final move, I'm going to I'm going to make it PG, right? His final move is he would, he would grab the person from the other end of the screen and he would bring him to himself and he would say these words, get over here. It's kind of aggressive and kind of intense. Like, get over here. Jesus isn't being aggressive or intense, but his term, his, his call to follow him, it, it is a call that demands a response. See, Jesus, he's inviting you to follow him. Now, now, he's not inviting you to follow him as a nameless, faith, faceless person in a vast legion of troops that he sends out to the front line without care or concern. No, no Jesus, actually, he invites you to himself. He says, follow, follow me, c- c- come to me. See, sometimes we think in the Christian faith that, oh, I'm a Christian, and so I follow an idea. You, you don't follow an idea. I, I'm a Christian, so I follow a religion. You do not follow a religion. Jesus didn't call you to follow a religion. There is religious aspects that are good and true and part of it, but, but that's not what you've been called to. Jesus calls you. He says, come and follow me. The actual person, Jesus Christ, born lived roughly 33 years on earth, historically proven that he lived on this earth. This is Jesus Christ who died as a substitute for your sin and for mine, who was buried and resurrected, who historically was witnessed by many different people as resurrected. This is the second member of the triune God who has existed throughout all eternity. And he has come and he's looked at you, not just at these fishermen some 2,000 years ago, but he looks at you and he says, Follow me. See, Jesus invites you to himself. And it's not an invitation so that you can have a chore list. Here's all the things I want you to do for me now. You will do things for him, but it's so much deeper. His invitation to you is an invitation of care, of concern, of love, of incredible, incredible relational closeness. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to go to a few other invitations from Jesus in the book of Matthew. Chapter 4, 19, he says, follow me. Fast forward with me to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Look at at Jesus' invitation here. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus' invitation, he says, come to me all who, who labor and are heavy laden. You say, man, I labor. I put in lots of hours at my job. That's, that's not really what he's talking about. He's, talking to, he's saying, come to me all who are, who are spiritually weary. Come to me all, all who, are, who are burnt out. 
Come to me, everyone who has, been, who has been told that you need to be good, that you need to do better, and that you need to try harder. He says, all of you who are working so hard so that you can earn God's approval, come to me. I have multiple friends that were raised in very, very uh, religious and strict homes. They, they tell me about like the, the rules that they had to follow and the strictness of the religious observance that they had. Some of these friends, they won't even talk about Jesus anymore. They, they, they so turn their back. Others, the, the, the Lord has brought them back to know who he really is. But these friends, they all say the same thing. They say, I felt like I could never be good enough. You ever felt that way? You know, biblically speaking, hear me out for a minute. Biblically speaking, there's some truth to that. I mean, think about it for you. You know where you've been. You know what you've done. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I'll just take myself as an example for a moment. How could I ever imagine me, Mike, a sinful, selfish man, how could I ever imagine that I could stand before a holy and perfect God? I'd be fooling myself to think if I could do that on my own. I can't. You, you can't. On your own, you and I, we would say the exact same thing my, my friends that were raised in hyper-religious, kind of, kind of manipulative and controlling homes that they would say, they say, I could never be good enough. There is a reality to that that is true for me and that's true for you. That's what makes Jesus' invitation so phenomenal. He says, are, are you weary? Are you spiritually burdened and burnt out? He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest from trying to be good enough. I'll give you rest from trying to earn God's approval. I'll give you rest, think about Jesus in his day, as the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were accused of piling rule upon rule upon rule upon rule and never lifting a finger to help the people. So the people felt like they were being crushed with the weight of their sin and the law and they were overwhelmed. And Jesus says, I am the only one. If you come to me, I am. I'll give you rest. And it's amazing how Jesus does it. He doesn't wave some magical wand. You know what he does to give you rest? He comes to you and he takes all of the weight of your sin that you're carrying. He takes all of it. And he lugs it over onto his back. He climbs up on a cross. And he pays the price for it completely. All of our sin, all of our selfishness, all of our rebellion, all of our evil, all of it paid in full. But that's not even all of it. Not only does he take your sin and your selfishness and your rebellion upon himself, the Bible actually teaches that he, he gives you something as well. You want to know what he gives you? He gives you his perfection perfect standing with the Father. I mean, Jesus never once disobeyed the law of God. Jesus never once disobeyed the Heavenly Father. When the Heavenly Father looks at Jesus, he sees one who is perfect. And then you know what Jesus does? He takes that 
perfection. And he credits it to you. So when God the Father looks at you, he sees that your sin has been paid for, and he sees that the perfection of Jesus has been laid upon you. That is rest. That is the truest and purest spiritual rest that you can ever experience. And this is what Jesus says. He says, come to me. Come to me. Stop trying to be good enough. You can't. Stop trying to do better. Try and harder. It, it, on your own, it's never going to work. But if you trust that I died and rose again for you, to find rest. And then he says this. He says, he says take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. Now, yoke, we always have to clarify because it's not a term we use in 21st century the way they were using it there. Most of us think yoke, we think of an egg, right? Now, Grant, granted, Christians do some weird things, but we're not going to go crack an egg and, and baptize you with an egg. Like, that's, it kind of sounds fun. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, we played messy games and we played a war with eggs. It was really gross, actually. But talk about that more another day. When Jesus talks about a yoke, He's talking about what was typically a wooden beam that would bind two oxen together, and so they would pull the load of a plow together. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You know, you know what he's saying? He's saying, he's come, come and be bound to me because my yoke is easy. It doesn't mean it's easy in the sense that like, oh, you know, let me back up. Here's what he means. The work's already done. He's already done it completely. So when you come and you're bound to him, when you, when you try to obey God now, let's just think about the series we're in right now, the Ten Commandments. Instead of obeying the Ten Commandments for God's approval, now you just obey them out of love as you walk with Jesus. You see how, see how it works? Jesus, when he, he calls you to himself, he, he calls you, he, he, he invites you to, to walk with him. But, but here's where we go from here. This means he actually invites you to his purpose. He, he invites you to his purpose. If you're yoked with Jesus, you don't go your way doing your thing while Jesus goes his way doing his thing. And so what is Jesus' purpose? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, he doesn't just invite you to himself, he invites you to his purpose. And his purpose is that you and I, that we are fishers of men. Now, I don't know if you like to go fishing. I enjoy it. I find I don't have nearly the time that I'd like to use to go fishing. But uh, I, I, fishing is, is an image that we can get really clear in our mind. Most of us, when we think about fishing, we think about leisure. We think about going out and being out on the lake or the river and, and being alone and, and you know, putting our, our the pole out there and, and maybe catching something, maybe not, but we're out by ourselves. Sounds kind of fun, actually, right? Want to go? But Jesus, in his contact, he, context, he's talking to fishermen that this is their livelihood. A fisherman that he's talking about, he's talking about guys, they got up every day, they went and they took their nets out into the water and they're... they're number one priority, their, their singular focused task is, is to catch as many fish as possible, right? That, that, that was their task. Why? Well, because they had a bigger purpose. Their purpose was to provide for their family. 
Their purpose was to earn a living wage. Their purpose was to, to create a future for themselves. Fishing was the task. The bigger purpose was something even grander. You and I, when Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he says, I am giving you one singular task. There is one key task that is more important than anything else you ever do in this life. You want to know what it is? It's to share the gospel to share the, the love and the mercy and the grace, to share the story of Jesus and his death and his resurrection with as many people as possible. That, that's it. Now, now that, that falls under a bigger purpose. The bigger purpose is to love God. The bigger purpose is to give God as much glory as possible. But, but this is what he has called us to. And, and here's, here's the thing. I think the enemy has tricked us he, he's just moved our attention just slightly enough so, so that we, we actually don't go fishing for men. I, instead of going fishing, instead of going and sharing the gospel with people, you know what we do? We like to go visit the aquarium. <laughs> you, you ever been to the Seattle Aquarium? It's a great aquarium. It's beautiful. Giant, giant tanks, hundreds and thousands of gallons, incredible display of all sorts of different kind of fish. They have a, a shark display. You can go and you can get on the, the, next to the tank and the sharks just come right up next to it. It's amazing. You're just like, whoa, this is so cool, right? But, but that's exactly what you and I do. You would never call someone who goes and hangs out in an aquarium all day long, you would never call them a fisherman, would you? I mean, if I came and said, hey, man, I just visited the aquarium. I'm such a great fisherman. You'd be like, Mike, you're not a fisherman. <laughs> but we go to work. And we hang out with people that don't know the gospel. And we watch them just like we watch the giant sharks swim by the, the glass tank. Ooh, wow, that's pretty cool. We get near them. But are we fishing? It's like not going to the aquarium, but going out on a pond taking a boat out on a pond or on a lake, and you know there are fish under there. In fact, you can go and you can spend all day out there, and you spend all day out there, and you say, well, I'm close to fish. I know they're down there. I know they're all around me. It's like your house. You're in a neighborhood, and you know you have neighbors, and they're all around you. But do they know the gospel? And have we ever told them about it? The enemy tricks us to think, oh, just because we, we live there, we're, we're fishing. Are, are we? Some of us are really good at knowing all of the right tackle and all of the right bait. We even get the dorky little fisherman's hat and the goofy little vest and we go out and we, we, know, we know so much about God and his word and you should. You should definitely know as much of his word as possible. You can tell all the right truths about what someone who doesn't know Jesus should know. But, but until you put the bait on the hook and you take that thing and you cast it out, you, you're not a fisherman. See, see, to be a fisherman, it requires, it requires not just living a life that looks like a fisherman. It requires putting, put, putting the bait in the water. It requires having those hard conversations from time to time. It requires, it requires asking someone once in a while, hey, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about God? What do you think God wants from you in your life? It's, it's actually going out and attempting to talk about Christ. And before my time, generations before, there is this term, and I, I, I don't hear anyone use it anymore. I, I wonder if you've heard this term. 
You ever heard the term soul winner? Raise your hand. I'm just curious if you heard it. I've heard about it from reading books about people that are dead. But soul winner. Think about that idea. Someone who, who their chief aspiration is to share the gospel with as many people as they can. See, I wonder if we've kind of settled by simply being known, being known as a good neighbor or a good coworker, and we stopped having the urgency of doing what Jesus has called us to do and aligning ourselves with his purpose. Now, I, I know Valley has a great tradition here. We have a great history. There's actually a man named Ted Cotton. I got to meet him once. Some of you, I say Ted Cotton, your heart just beats a little faster because you know, you know what he stood for. He's a guy that he, he's a soul winner. He did everything he could with every encounter he had to, to lead any person that would be willing to listen to him. To, to hear the gospel. Ted's in glory now. Who's going to pick up the mantle? Who's going to make it their aspiration to be, to be a fisher of men? Maybe, maybe that's the wrong question instead of who. How about this? What if? Just look around in this room for a minute. Or, or those online, look around with those in your family. What if every one of us said, I am going to make it my chief aspiration, my chief goal in life to do the one task that Jesus has laid before me as more important than any other? I'm going to share the gospel. See, Jesus, he invites us to his purpose. But, but here's where it goes a little bit deeper in the book of Matthew in terms of Jesus saying, come follow me or come to me. Because Jesus, he, he recognizes that this, this is costly. Following Jesus and sharing the gospel, it, it, it doesn't come cheap. It's difficult. It's hard work. In fact, this means that Jesus, if you're following along, Jesus, he, he invites you to die. He says, come follow me. He says, follow me. He invites you to himself. He invites you to his purpose. But if you're going to live in light of his purpose, this means Jesus actually invites you to die. Matthew 16, notice the language. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me. We've heard Jesus say, follow me. We've heard Jesus say, come to me. And now he says, if anyone would, would actually do what I'm talking about, if anyone would come after me, look at what he says. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And G Jesus describes what it takes with, with three phrases. The first phrase is deny himself. To deny yourself means to follow Jesus, means to say no to self. To say no to self. This is... This is something we're not trained to do in our culture today. You realize if you live in America, if you live in America, even if you're poor, you have more creature comforts than most of the world has ever had in all of existence. If you live in America right now, if you have the ability to, to, to be in this room or to listen online, even if you are on the lower end of any kind of economic spectrum, you realize that, that you have lavishly more than most people in a third world country could even imagine having. You have more creature comforts at your fingertips than you know what to do with. And so because of that, here, here's, I'm, I'm not, this isn't a guilt trip, I'm just, here's the current reality. Because of that, we, 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 it's so easy to say yes to self. 
You want to go out for lunch today? Yes. You want to go on vacation? Yes. You want to spend your time doing whatever you want to do any night of the week? Yes. It's, it's, we live in a culture that makes it so easy to say yes to self, but, but Jesus says that we're to deny ourselves. Let me give you an example. I was talking to a friend this past week. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about, he says, when you fast. To Jesus, he assumes there's times that you fast. He uses the same language when he says, when you pray. He assumes that you pray. Don't answer, don't raise your hand, but when's the last time you fasted? And what is fasting but denying yourself to, to increase your spiritual awareness? I'll answer. It's been a long time since I've fasted. I think part of it is because it's so easy to say yes to self and so hard for me to deny myself. What is it you need to not deny? Maybe you need to deny how much money you spend on your pleasure or your comforts. Maybe that money can be used for purposes of going fishing for men. Maybe you need to deny yourself in the way you spend your, your free time. You put in your nine to five or whatever you have for a job. You do your job and you come home and you say, oh, it's the evening or oh, it's the weekend. And you say, it's me time. Maybe you need to deny the me time. And you say, I need to use this time for the things of God, to go and share my faith, to invite someone over and have a meal so that I can talk to them about the gospel during that time. Maybe I need to go and serve with my church family and whatever it looks like. Maybe I just need to take some time and, and pray for those who don't know Jesus and for opportunities to talk with them. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. Say no to self. Number two, though, he says you have to face difficulties. Jesus' term here is to, to take up your cross now, today, we think about taking up our cross. Some of us, we have a necklace, and it has a little cross on it. And we say, oh, we take up our cross, and we've got a cool little cross, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. In the first century, you know, the cross was, it was a symbol of execution. It was a symbol of torture. Jesus, he, he died upon the cross, Jesus, before he died upon that cross, he, he carried that cross outside of Jerusalem up the, the hill of Golgotha until he couldn't anymore, and then someone was forced to help him carry that cross. Jesus says that you need to go and pick up your cross. To pick up your cross means that you have to be willing to face whatever difficulty comes in following Jesus Christ. Whatever difficulty Notice he says to take up your cross. He says, let him take up his cross. This means you don't take up your neighbor's cross. There's going to be times in your life when you're gathered in a church service and you're going through something really difficult and you're carrying a heavy, ugly, gnarly, painful cross and every step is it's just grueling and it feels like torture and you look across to the other side of the room and you see someone carrying a dinky little plastic toy cross. You're like, Jesus, what's the deal? How come they got such a light cross and I got such a heavy cross? I, I don't know. Jesus doesn't say to carry someone else's cross. We share each other's burdens for sure, but he says to take up your cross. Instead of taking up my cross, you know what I like to do? I like to put it in a room and then put like clothes on it and bury it so I forget about it. <laughs> Instead of dealing with the difficult things in my life, you know what I like to do? I like to ignore them and, and go around them and avoid them and take the easiest path 
possible to do that, or is it just me? <laughs> but Jesus says, take up your cross. But you, you know what else he doesn't say? He doesn't say, take up his cross. Just remember for a moment, the cross he carried had far greater weight than anything you can imagine. And he carried it willingly for you. So, so if, you, if you're going to take Jesus serious today, if you, you're saying, you know what, I want to make sure I'm not playing the Christian game, uh, Jesus says, deny yourself. He says, take up your cross. And the last thing he says is, follow me. This is the idea of obedience. When you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, it's you saying that I am going to make sure Jesus is more important to me than anything else in my life. More important than my finances. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have finances. More important than my family. Doesn't mean your family should not be an incredibly high priority. More important than any of my fun or any of the activities that I pursue, I'm going to make sure that before I do anything else, I am going to be prayerfully and intentionally saying, Jesus, what would you have me do? Where do I need to deny myself? Where do I need to pick up my cross and deal with difficulties? Where do I need to follow you? Now, if you're following along with me right now, you should be asking a question in your mind. Why would I ever do that? I mean, seriously, uh, I'm just, let me just blank slate. Let me, let me just assume you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus from anything else. You're like, what is this guy even talking about? Why would I do any of that? You got to be joking. Mike, you want me to deny myself, to pick up my cross and to obey Jesus? This sounds like insanity. Mike, I'm done. Why would you ever do that? Let Jesus answer. Because in this passage, Jesus doesn't just invite you to die. And he does. He invites you to die, to lay down your life. But he also invites you, listen, he invites you to live. Look at the next two verses. Jesus continues by inviting you to live. Verse 25, for, this is a, a connecting idea. He says, because of, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? In short, why would you consider laying down your life, picking up your cross and following Jesus? Jesus' answer is very simple because it is worth it a hundred million fold. It is worth it beyond comparison. It, he says actually that it is the only logical thing to do when you hear his words. He says, in fact, the only real way to find your life, the only real way to find your life is to lose it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you an example. Let's say, let's say you come over to my house and we have dinner together and it's a great dinner. And, and then afterward, I say, hey, um, how about dessert? What would you say? Okay, there's, Andrew was right. Like earlier when he said only three people were holding up the card, I was like, okay, we got a quiet crowd. If I said, you want dessert? And you would say, eh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, how about this? How about this? How about I say, hey, I got some ice cream. You want some ice cream? Who likes ice cream? Okay, yeah, I, would, I would have my hand up very high, right? In the last service, there was someone that was kind of almost jumping when I said ice cream, right? I, I get that person a lot. We're, we're friends now, right? So, let's say I go and I look in my freezer, and in my freezer, I go, and okay, what kind of ice cream do we have in here? And I find that in my freezer, the only ice cream we have is, is kids' birthday ice cream. Now, some of you know what I mean, right? I, I got three kids, 
And when our kids have a birthday and they invite all their friends over, you know what we do not do? We do not buy the little, pint, little tiny pints of Ben and Jerry's that cost five bucks a pop. You know what we do? We buy those really big things of ice cream that are like cost 99 cents. or I don't know how, how much they cost, but they're really cheap and it kind of tastes like frozen milk cardboard when you eat it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, eh. And I pull out this ice cream and say, okay, well, here's the deal. Look, look, this is the only ice cream I have. I've got a lot of it. You can have as much of it as you want right now, or if you're willing to wait like 30 minutes, I'll run to the store and I'll get the good stuff, the, the little small batch, really tasty, lots of flavor. You want to wait a half an hour? Yeah, sure, wait. You'll wait? Most of us, we would say, okay, I, I can wait a half an hour. Yeah, let's go get, let's go get the good stuff. It, that's very similar to what Jesus is doing right here. Let's say you have 90 more years on earth. I don't know if any of us has that much time left, but, but let's just be very, very generous. Let's say you have 90 more years here on earth. And during these next 90 years, you can chase after every earthly desire you could have. Whatever you want, you can have it. King of the world. As much pleasure, as much enjoyment, all of a feast every night, all the little cartons of ice cream you can imagine, right? everything you want. Let's imagine that you could have that for the next 90 years. Jesus' point here is, is it would be worthless. Worthless. It'd be like losing your life. It would be like losing your soul because you would lose eternity and what you have actually waiting for you. This is, this, is, this, is why, this is why you deny yourself. This is why you pick up your cross. This is why you say, I am going to follow Christ above anything else as my number one priority. This is why you die. So that you can really live. So that you can really live. See, Jesus, he invites you he invites you to follow him. That means he invites you to himself. That means he invites you to his purpose. He, he invites you to die. And in doing so, he invites you to live, which brings us back to our big idea today. This means that Jesus, he invites you, because you're invited to his purposes, to extend his invitation. Matthew 4.19 says, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 28, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew Verses, 28 through or 20, verses 18 through 20. Look at these words. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' command here is a little different. Up to this point, we've had come, follow me, come to me, come, come after me. Now, though, Jesus says go. In fact, in this moment, Jesus, he commands, he commands that you make disciples. He says some incredible things around it. Look at what he says here. He says, first of all, that he has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. The risen Jesus is the highest authority that you can ever imagine. S sorry, governors. Sorry, presidents. 
sorry kings, sorry rulers, sorry dictators, that there is no one on earth or, sorry Satan, sorry demonic realm, sorry spiritual and cosmic forces, that there is no one in heaven with greater authority than Jesus and combined with the Father and the Spirit. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore, I want you to maybe consider possibly helping me out with something. Therefore, go make disciples. The, the form of that sentence, it actually, there's, there's one command. The one command is to make disciples. To make disciples is to be what? It's to be a fisher of men. It's to go and just share the good news. It's to share the invitation that you've been granted. To make disciples is to extend the invitation that Jesus has already extended to you. To extend it to where? To all nations. He gives you a promise. He says, I am with you always. You're never alone. Even if you feel alone and, and completely by yourself, even if you feel like you're the only one in your workplace or your neighborhood or your family that's doing anything for the sake of the gospel, even if you feel completely alone, he says, I'm with you always, even till the very end. So make disciples. He, he describes making disciples with three other terms. Go, baptize, and teach. He, he says go. This, this means you got to go. You got to get out of your chair right now. Everybody, no, joking. You, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of your home. You got to get out of your safe space. You've got to get out of whatever place you are that has you so comfortable that you're unwilling to go to someone who doesn't know the gospel. Go. Then he says to baptize. This is interesting. The word here is immerse. In Greek, it's transliterated. That's why we get the word baptize. But if we were to translate it, it would actually say go immerse. See, immersion in the early church, it was the sign of someone converting to Christianity. In the early church, someone didn't say, oh, I prayed a prayer, and then a few weeks later they got baptized. The moment they believed, as soon as possible, they went and they were baptized as an external display of, I am now allegiant to Christ. I now trust in Christ. I now cling to Christ. He says, go, be baptized. And he says, and to teach them all that I have commanded you. Teach them to observe or obey here's the deal. This is, this is your marching orders. These are my marching orders. Now, when I preach a message like this, I toy with, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go right now, and you can't have lunch until you've shared the gospel 10 times, right? And everyone kind of like sinks in their chair like, that's, that's not what I'm going to do here. I also don't want to let you off the hook, though. Jesus has called you to this. He's called me to this. He's called us to this. And this is why I'm preaching it today, because the timing, I believe, is it's perfect. Some studies show that 80% of people that don't go to church, if they were simply invited, 80%, they were simply invited, they would say yes. 
Now, some of us in this room, we can go and we can share the gospel right now on the spot, no problem. If that's you, awesome. Keep doing that. Some of us in this room, we, we could maybe muddle our way through it. Some of us in this room, we're, we're a little fearful about it. In the next year or so, we're going we're gonna to train more on this. We're going to work through this. I will help anyone that wants to learn how to share their faith. I will help you do that. But right now, I, there's one task that I think we can do together as a church to be fishers of men. And it starts on Easter. In fact, grab that card that Andrew had you pull out earlier. He said that three people waved it at him. Prove him wrong. Let me see. Hold it up. Let me see if you have it. There's three. There we go. No, okay. <clears throat> you don't have to keep waving. You can set it down. Here's what I want you to do. This card is not meant to be another bookmark for your Bible. You guys do that sometimes. <laughs> I got something at church as a bookmark. This card is not for you. This card is meant to be a tool for you to have this kind of a conversation hey, on Easter, my pastor's going to start a brand new series. He's going to talk about how sometimes we get discouraged, how sometimes we feel jaded, how sometimes we come to the end of our rope and we feel like we, we just kind of get tired of ourselves or the things we struggle with. He's going to be sharing about how Jesus can help us with that. I'd love for you to come and join me. That easy. And give him the card. I want to challenge you to do that. It's kind of like throwing a uh, little fish food in the, into the aquarium. You, you might not have the hook in there yet, but, but you're taking a step in that direction. Think with me for a minute. Let, let's round up. Let's say we have 300 people that are part of the valley regularly. Let's imagine that, that all of us go out with the intention to do this, and 90% of us fail. 10% succeed. That could be 30 people hearing the gospel, potentially coming to Christ. Imagine if we did this every month. Same numbers, 30 people every month hearing the gospel, even if half of them came to Christ. You realize we would have to get that baptismal out every other week. Why? Because you are extending the invitation. Why? Because you are remembering that your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members, they don't know how to say it the right way, but you know what they're saying? Can I come? Can I come? In fact, I want us to pray right now. Take that card back in your hand. And I want you to get the image of one person's face, the person that the Lord has put on your heart. I want you to put their face in your mind as clearly as you can. And together, let's pray for those that God has put in our lives so that we can be faithful to his invitation to extend it so we can be fishers of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we... Thank you so much for the invitation you've given us to know you, to be forgiven, to have hope and joy and peace, to, to have the promise of eternity with you. God, we, we have been given such a rich gift in Jesus Christ. And Father, today I, I pray that you would burden us deeply to be people who extend the invitation Lord, Lord, we do not want to come to the end of our lives and, and realize that we have enjoyed all of your blessings all to ourselves and never, never reached out and handed the invitation to those around us who the entire time, maybe saying it in the wrong way, but the entire time we're saying, can I come? Can I come? 
Lord, I pray for the people we have, the images we have in our minds right now. Lord, I pray that in the coming two weeks, you would give each of us the opportunity to to have just a simple conversation and extend a, a gentle and kind invitation. God, I pray that through that, our friends and families, that our coworkers, even our enemies would show up, they would hear the great gospel of Jesus Christ. They would hear about the free offer of forgiveness and salvation, and they would put their hope in you. God, I pray that your joy would pour into them in an overwhelming way, and that you would be glorified in all of this. God, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.